If you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12 this morning. There was a young lady who uh, was newly wed, and, uh, and they were, uh, her and her husband were there, and she decided she wanted to cook for her husband a, a special meal in their family. So she got out the pot roast, and uh, she proceeded to, to begin to prepare it, and she cut off the ends of the pot roast and stuck it in the oven, to which her, her new husband said, um, honey, why do you cut off the ends of the pot roast before you cook them? And she said, um... That's a good question. And so she called her mom and she said, Mom, I watched you cook pot roast all these years. Why did you cut off the ends of the pot roast before you cooked it? And her mother said, you know, that's a very good question. Call your grandmother because she did that. So she called her grandmother, cut off the ends of the pot roast. Why did you do that? And her grandmother says, my mother did the same thing. Which, and so she called her great-grandmother, now in the nursing home, and she said, great-grandmother, why did you cut off the ends of the pot roast? And her great-grandmother said, because my oven was too small. The pot roast wouldn't fit. Sometimes we lose, or we can, we can lose through time, the reason why something is important. All of a sudden, what was important in pot roast with an oven that was too small now was not the case. And yet, as people watched others, they emulated what had been done. I think many times that happens in the way we pray. We learn to pray by watching others, by, by experiencing those prayer warriors, and by, by emulating those things. But sometimes we lose the reason why as generations go on and on. Why do we pray? What's the purpose, the motivation behind we come to the Lord to seek his help, his, his direction, to worship him through adoration? What is, what is the task ahead? Proverbs 16, 2 says, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. And James 4.3 says, you ask and do not receive because you, are, you ask wrongly. So you can spend it on your passions. So both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that motives are a very important thing, especially when it comes to supplication, when asking of the Lord what he would to have us to do in a certain situation. And so today I want us to look at who I would say is the greatest prayer of all time, Jesus and a very simple prayer that he offers that I believe uncovers for us the motivation behind why we pray. Would you begin with me in John 12, verse 23? And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant, or there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. 
Now, in, in the context of where we are in the book of John, the triumphal entry has taken place. It's his final week on earth. And uh, we get the message in the previous passage that some Greeks had been there. Perhaps they had been there when he had cleansed the temple and he had quoted from Isaiah that my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And these Gentiles who were there worshiping, probably God-fearing Gentiles, wanted to have a, a meeting with Jesus. And so they sent word through his disciples, would you meet with us? And we never understand, John does not give us the answer whether Jesus did that, but that answer from him lends Jesus or leads Jesus to this discussion about what it means to follow him and then a prayer of glorification to the Father. When Jesus uh, is reminded, perhaps it's w because the Gentiles were, were looking, hey, if this really is the Messiah, maybe he's going to really uh, set freedom to, to Israel, and maybe we're going we're gonna to see it happen right here in our midst. And Jesus wants to make sure that he understand, they understand that the expectation of Messiahship, Jesus is going to declare and achieve the victory in a way that they have not understood. Not by defeat of Rome in a great glorious conquest, but through suffering and death, through laying his life down, the victory is achieved through his death and his resurrection. And so we come to this understanding, Jesus has, has talked about what does it mean to follow him and to follow him to the cross, to lay down our life for him. And then it says that his soul is troubled. And Jesus' first response in thinking about the, the cross that lies ahead is to pray. To pray. But it, I think it's fascinating what he doesn't pray for. In all honesty, if I know suffering is coming, if suffering is ahead, my prayers tend to genuinely look like, Lord, make it as painless as possible. Lord, save me from the pain. Take me out of the situation. Heal me. I don't want to walk through this. But Jesus prays for none of those things. I think it's fascinating in the Bible what people pray for and what people don't. In Acts 4, you have, you have a, a, a Peter and John called before the Sanhedrin, and they're, they're questioning them, and, and they warn them that they will be persecuted not to speak in the name of Jesus. And the church goes back and they pray one of the most fascinating prayers, a prayer that has one request, not, Lord, let us not be persecuted, but Lord, give us boldness. To speak your name in the midst of the persecution. So Jesus prays and he prays a prayer, a simple phrase, Father, glorify your name. When it comes to my life, I want you to glorify yourself, even if it means and because it means walking through suffering and death. As a Christian, when we decide, or when, when Jesus empowers us, the Spirit empowers us, and we follow Christ, we place our trust in Christ. We are changing alliances and allegiances. We're no longer living for the glory of myself. We're really good at that. But now we begin to live for the glory of Jesus and the glory of God. Our whole life now becomes a prayer, Father, glorify your name through my life. I told our youth at camp uh, last week, Christianity is not Jesus following me, but me following Jesus. And sometimes we get those mixed up. Jesus, come alongside of me, make my life easy, take care of all my lists of wants, and I, I will give you credit. But Jesus has said, if you want to follow me, you must lay down your life and find genuine, true life and joy in following me.
He's promised that in the world we will have trouble. This is not new news. Therefore, as it's been said, prayer is not about our rights, but about his riches. It's not about our list, but because a good father knows how to give good gifts to his children from the blessings and the abundance of who he is, we come to him in prayer so that others might see, wow, what a God who takes care of you. What a God who meets you in the midst of your suffering. What a God that you would even have joy in the midst of difficulty. And therefore, as Jesus prays, I believe we should pray. Pray with the motivation for God's glory. When we pray, what should capture our desire in praying for specific things is that God would be glorified in our life. Jesus is consumed with bringing glory to the Father, to the point of suffering and death. Therefore, the glory of God is meant to be the motive of prayer. And this isn't a a thing that's just introduced through Jesus' prayer. We find it all throughout Scripture. Let's take a quick uh, bird's eye view of some prayer in Scripture. Psalm 79.9. Help us, O God, of our salvation. Why should you help us? The psalmist says it. For the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins. For your namesake. Psalm 25.11. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Psalm 143.11. For your namesake. O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Daniel 9, 19, in Daniel's prayer, O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. Why should he not delay? For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Philippians 1, 9 through 11, Paul's prayer for the church. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Why does Paul pray these things? To the glory and praise of God. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Why? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we have the privilege of coming before the Lord in prayer, It is the privilege of a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus to say, it is always your way over my way. And so I come with my request. I come with my needs because my, my heart and cry is that through every one of these, you would receive the glory. When we pray for the glory of God, when we let that be the motivation of our life, I believe some things happen. Number one, the glory of God is a humbling prayer. Look in verse 27 again. Now is my soul trouble. That trouble is an internal conflict as Jesus looks ahead to the cross. And what shall I say? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Uh, That's what I would say. I would say, Father, get me out of this mess. And so Jesus even says, how should I pray? How should I respond to this troubling in my soul? Every one of us today has a troubling in our soul, something we've been praying about for a long time. 
But I would ask, is the, the heart of your prayer a humble prayer that says, God, whatever in this situation would bring you the most glory, that is my desire. Erwin Lutzer shares that in his life, that he, would, uh, he, he seeks to wake up, and before his feet hit the floor, his prayer is this, Father, glorify yourself at my expense today. Glorify yourself at my expense. What a thought. Lord, it isn't my goals, my to-do list today, what I want to accomplish, but you have full reign and power because I am a follower of Jesus and he's not a follower of me. You have full reign and power to do whatever you would, would desire to do in my life this week. You want to put somebody in my path that needs help today? If, is it going to blow up my schedule? But hey, if you, it would bring you greater glory, that's what I want to do. It's a humbling prayer. Praying the glory of God humbles us by putting his desires over our desires. The glory of God is also a dangerous prayer. Look at verse 28. Father, glorify your name. That's not a dangerous pray, prayer in the sense of recklessness, but it's a dangerous prayer to say, uh, if it would be your will for me to walk through difficulty and suffering so that you would receive the glory, I will receive it from you. In just the previous chapter, we've seen an incredible miracle. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. What an incredible response to a request. And when we come before God in supplication, our desire is to see the miracle. We want to see God do great and glorious things like raising Lazarus from the dead. But what if God's answer is not our desire? Are we willing to even entertain his desire for his glory in our lives may in fact not to be the miracle, but he may receive more glory to walk us through the difficulty. Johnny Erickson Tata, the quadri uh, quadriplegic ministry, uh, who's had an incredible ministry uh, for the cause of Christ, several years ago was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I remember when hearing that diagnosis, my first response was like, God, really? Has she not walked through enough? Now you've, you've included that on her, her plate? But in an interview, here's what she said about the diagnosis. She said, that's what I have been seeing this past month. Every x-ray technician, every nurse, every doctor's secretary, every clinician, every person I meet in nuclear medicine and at the MRI, it's amazing how many opportunities I've been given to see people hungry and thirsty for Christ. I knew that was true before, but there seems to be something special that is accompanying this diagnosis. I'm just so amazed by people asking me, how can you approach this breast cancer with such confidence in a God who allows it? And I'm being given the chance to answer, and here's the way she answers. The greater thing is not the miracle. I'm going to say that again. The greater thing is not the miracle. It's the advancement of the gospel. It's the giving of the kingdom, reclaiming what is rightfully Christ. What a beautiful picture of the glory of God in one's life, even in walking through suffering. When we decide our lives exist for the glory of God and therefore our prayer life should exist for the glory of God, it is a dangerous prayer to say, Father, glorify your name, even at my expense. The glory of God is a humbling prayer because it forces us to recognize that he is in control of our life. We're not dictating to him, 
The glory of God is a dangerous prayer because it may mean it brings him glory for us to walk through difficulty. And last, the glory of God is an answered prayer. Look at the end of verse 28. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The father audibly answers Jesus in this moment. As Jesus is crying out and his desire, even in, the, in looking ahead and the difficulty of the cross that awaits, his heart is to glorify the father. And the father says, hey, that is a prayer I can answer. That's a prayer the Father will answer every time. Not only have I glorified it in your life, Jesus, through your birth, through your life, but I will glorify it in your death, in your resurrection, and your ascension. The Father is glorified, and the Father answers a prayer for the glory of God. I find sometimes it is in praying for God's glory in a situation that the answer becomes clear. If you have a a new job offer and you're praying about what you should do and you're praying, Lord, give me the the right, uh, it's an incredible opportunity, it's going to mean a whole lot more money, I'm going to be able to provide a whole lot more and buy a lot of things, but the downside is it's going to take a whole lot more of my time, I'm not going to be able to be involved in the church, I'm not going to be able to, to see my family or care for them as much. When you begin to pray for the God's glory in your life in that situation, all of a sudden the answer becomes clearer. Which one's going to bring God the most glory? For you to take care of your family? for you to be involved in the body of Christ or for you to to make more money. See, when that becomes the overarching call of our prayer life, it can answer prayers within itself of what God would want us to do. Does this mean, Ben, that we just pray for God's glory without specifics? Okay, God, glorify yourself at my expense and, and I'm done with my prayer. Absolutely not. Within the context, Jesus is praying something specific and for a specific reason. The cross is before him. And so he's bringing that issue before the Father. And in that issue, wrestling, how should I pray? Pray, I want God to be glorified in it. We pray specifically. We pray for answers specifically. We pray for God to do mighty things specifically. But within that specific request, that desire, that worship to God through our prayer, we recognize the overarching heart of our life in prayer is that whatever the answer, we want it to bring the most glory to God. We have at home a French press coffee machine. And uh, in a French press, you pour the coffee in, you pour the hot water in, and it just sits there and marinates. For a little while. The longer it marinates, the stronger it gets, right? And then you have this little filter on top, and you press it down, and slowly press it down, and amazing things happen. That filter catches all the grounds, and inside is is pure, pure coffee ready to drink, and it's fantastic. When we pray for the glory of God, it's like that filter. The Lord knows our desires. He wants to hear from us. He wants to commune with us. But when we gather all those things in that cup and bring them to the Lord in prayer, Lord, here's what's troubling my soul. Here's what I'm desiring an answer from you. And we put the filter of the glory of God in. It's still those specific needs and desires. But what we've tried to take out is our selfishness in the process so that God may be glorified. 
Have you ever started to pray something and realized, I don't think I can pray for that, that way, right? Somebody comes up and says, hey, will you pray for this situation? And I, I will say, yes, I'll pray for that situation. And I begin to pray about it and I go, but I can't pray for it the way you want me to pray for it. Because I'm not sure in that situation God would receive the most glory. So I'm going to pray for you. But I'm going to pray in this way. Practicing prayer for the glory of God. I want to give you two ways I would encourage you this week to, to add to your prayer life. Number one, explicitly and specifically pray for the glory of God in the specific things you're praying for, in the things that are troubling your soul. And add, to, add specifically, just like they do in the Bible, uh, for your namesake or for your glory, God, my desire in this request is not that my life would be easy, but that you would receive the most glory that can be achieved. I think sometimes we imply it, but I'm going to encourage you not to imply that, but to say it in your prayer. And see what God might do in your prayer life and guide you and lead you to praying more specifically for different things. And then secondly, embrace the answer with joy. When we pray for the glory of God, when that becomes the motivation and passion in our lives, then when he answers, it brings us great joy, even, even if it's not the answer we had desired. Why? Because God is answering the main passion and motivation of our prayer, that he would be glorified. In our life, several years ago, this was made clear in our, uh, as our oldest son uh, became two and three, we began to notice some, some developmental delays. And uh, as a parent, you begin to, to worry and you begin to pray and, and seek God a lot. And many of you have walked through certain, certain uh, uh, opportunities like that. And then you begin to ask questions as we went through the process and he was diagnosed on the spectrum and we began to recognize our dreams were going to look different, our passions were going to look different for his life. And you begin to question God and your prayer is, Lord, take this away from him. Don't let him have to walk through that. Don't let us have to walk through that. And one day my wife uh, was sharing with me her reading in John and John chapter 9 you have this man who's blind and the, the disciples ask now who sinned in his life his parents or himself and Jesus says one of the most amazing things no, neither did but this man was made blind that the works of God might be displayed in him yeah. and that truth of scripture so penetrated our lives it completely changed our prayer life for our son. Are we still praying very specific things for our son? Absolutely. But when the heart of our life is, Lord, use him and use us at your expense, even if it means some interesting situations, Lord, we want you to be glorified overall. The thing that changed in our life was incredible joy in the midst of it. Why? Because I have confidence God will answer that prayer. He has answered it, and he will continue to answer it. And we as Christians can live with joy even in suffering because we are confident he will answer it.